want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, and we'll read tonight the 12th verse. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 is often referred to by the church and people in the church. I know I did, and perhaps you do. We call it the golden rule. But as I have learned through the years, God doesn't give us rules to live by, but He gives us principles. I would call it the divine principle of righteousness, this verse of Scripture. One of the most profound verses in the Bible. If practiced, it would absolutely change the whole world. It would change the whole entire world. You'll probably have to wait till the millennium to see this operate, but we are required not only to read this, but to operate in this way now. As I said earlier in all these teachings, that the Sermon on the Mount isn't easy. It's not just moral teaching that every Christian should be familiar with, but it's a way of life. It's how we live. You have to wrestle with things that are said here. We can't just take it for granted. We have to examine ourselves, as Paul said, to see if we're really in the faith. Like this verse says, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do, To you do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is what all the Old Testament was about. In God's guiding and steering man into a right relationship with him, uh, the kind of conduct he wanted, it's all in one single verse of Scripture in the New Testament. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Now that is profound. And uh, we want to look at that tonight and examine that because this particular verse is called golden, I think, because it, it does stand out. It does stand out as the way, not a way, but the way of life that we're all supposed to have. I'm supposed to do unto you and whoever else I run into in this life and be to them as I would want them to be to me. Now, I, I have not always done that. So you'll have to forgive me tonight. I'm working on it. And the message next week is in the Sermon on the Mount is probably one of the most challenging messages in the whole Bible. The straight gate and the narrow way. That's not a message that many people want to hear, but it's in there. But here he said that I am to live in such a way that I treat you the way I want you to treat me. I respond to you the way I want you to respond to me. I'm showing God whom I cannot see, how I want him to deal with me by how I deal with you. If you want God to be merciful to you, as James 2 says, you have to be merciful to other people. If you want God to be kind to you, you should be kind to other people. As you have received, you should also give. And if God has been good to you and God has loved you, you should also love other people. That hasn't been easy. Of course, the transition from the old man to the new man and the death of the old and the coming forth of the new is a process. And it isn't. It doesn't take place instantly like the new birth would, but the renewing of the mind takes time. The restoration of the soul in Psalms 23 takes time. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul, takes time. It's a life that we live. And the way to live this life, God shows us in His Word. And we read this, and we have no options. How many of y'all believe that? 
We have no options. We don't have something else that we can do in place of this that will count as much as this does. There's not something else besides this. When you come to verse 12 in chapter 7, this is what God requires of you. This will tell you what kind of attitude you have. This will tell you what kind of a person you are, whether or not you regard other people, maybe people of another race or color. doesn't matter. It, it, God holds you to deal with other people as God has dealt with you. Has God been good to us? We should of all people be good to other people. But we are so easily offended because we are so opinionated about the passions that we have in this life. Politics, sports, family. You know, I don't mind you dealing with families. Just don't deal with mine because if you touch one of mine or you say something about one of mine, and sometimes it's hard to deal with people. If they ever put themselves in, in your shoes and had to determine what would you do in this situation, they would probably be less apt to do a lot of things that they do. All of us would. But that's a part of this verse becoming what it should be to us. I want us to follow several verses of Scripture that amplify this, starting in the Old Testament at Leviticus 19. We need to see what else the Bible says along with this to get an idea of what Jesus is saying to us in its fullness. Leviticus 19. And we'll begin in verse 11. Now notice, all of this that I'm going to read tonight has to do between us and somebody else. You and another person. You and another group. It's people to people. This is what God says about us and others like us. You shall not steal. Would you want somebody to steal from you? If we do unto others as you would have others do unto you, you would never have to lock your door. You wouldn't need an army. You wouldn't need police. Nobody would ever do anything that they wouldn't want done to them. The world is a different place. He says, you shall not steal, neither deal falsely, that is, lie and connive, neither lie one to another, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, Neither shall you profane the name of the Lord. I am the Lord, the name of God. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, cheat him, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall, be, shall not abide with you all the night until morning. Pay him when it's due. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear the Lord your God. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect one person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Now, righteousness judging your neighbor means that it doesn't matter who it is. The truth is the truth, and that's the side you take. Now, your friends won't like you if you don't side with them, even when they know they're wrong and you know they're wrong. But if there's one thing we seek first in, in this life, seek first the kingdom of God and what else? His righteousness. And that's what this Matthew seven twelve is all about. It's God's righteousness dwelling in us, doing things as God would do, dealing with people as God would deal with them. Verse 18, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of, of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor 
as thyself, I am the Lord. How many times do you suppose that phrase is repeated in the Bible? I haven't counted, but several times. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you cross-reference this and take time to want to study how often in judging God's people, he referred to their being unjust and inconsiderate and unloving towards each other. That was one of the major reasons that God judged his people. They treated each other bad. They were not good with each other. I mean, even in 1 Corinthians, the agape feast, the Lord's table, you know, they got together. One group was here, one group was here, one group was there, one group was there. They wouldn't fellowship with each other. Would you want somebody to deny you? Would you want somebody to shun you in the church? Then you should never do that to other people. It doesn't mean that people aren't in the church need to be dealt with. You know, I can practice Matthew seven twelve without being exactly perfect. I may have some problems in my I might be lazy. I might be one of those that just puts things off because I don't want to do it. But that doesn't keep me from loving you the way I want you to love me. He's not talking here about only perfect people can do this. He's talking about Christians. This has to step before us as one of those things that God holds us to. And we have to deal with this. And sometimes it, it, we, it, we kind of go, I don't. I can do this because if, if, if I couldn't, then he couldn't require it of me. That wouldn't be fair. But God does require this, doesn't he? To do unto other people as you want other people to do unto you. That would make you a nice, kind, considerate, thoughtful, helpful, loving person at all times. I would never have to concern myself with you doing something behind my back to hurt me because you wouldn't want anybody to do that to you. And because you don't want that to happen to you, you don't do that to other people. That's what it says. It's the very epitome of righteousness. All of these things are right. These are God's ultimate right way, I think. That's why, again, people refer to that as the golden rule. But even in verse 18 here, even revenge... I mean, how many of us have really had the feeling in our lifetime at some point, at some age, various time, oh, I'll get you. You'll get yours. Uh, you, you, you better keep your eyes open, buddy. I know we didn't say that. But all you have to do is think that. Oh, I hope somebody gets, oh, they did me so, so bad. But you don't have the right to take revenge. You don't have a right to exact revenge from somebody. Didn't God say, vengeance is mine? I will repay? Didn't God say that? You've got to trust Him for that. Let Him take care of that. Go to the New Testament. The New Testament, Mark chapter 12. And I'll probably reference in Mark chapter 12, Matthew 22. Because they're both talking about the same thing, but they have a couple of different words. Mark chapter 12, first of all. And verse 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them, reasoned together, and perceiving that he, that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Which is the first commandment? Here's what Jesus said. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. 
And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, verse 32, and the scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. You know what Jesus said to him in verse 34? What you just said is so true. It's a kingdom principle. It's something that goes with you into the kingdom. And he said, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. So what does he mean? Well, the kingdom consists of this kind of righteousness. This is the way, this is the right way that God would have his people. The great commandment Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The two, just two. Now, that's not the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments doesn't say in like that. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship to God and His name and the day of the call of the Sabbath. But the last six Ten Commandments, well, the last six of the Ten Commandments has to do with us relating to others. Not steal, commit adultery, lie, covet, and all. I mean, that's how we relate to each other. We don't do those things. But our attitude prompting us as a reason why we don't do that is because we don't want anybody to do that to us. These are God's right ways. And this is what we should seek primarily and first, is His kingdom that He says you're not far from it here because you, you understand something about God and His ways and His right ways. That's what He wants us to seek. Now, in Matthew 22, if you go back just two or three pages or... Half a dozen. He said in Matthew 22, verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Do you see that? The second is like this. One has to do with you, and God, and the second one has to do with you and man, and both in right perspective, giving it the best that you can. And here's what he says. Verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. As I understand that, the law and the prophets, the law of Moses and the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and on down through the minor prophets, the law and the prophets, the messengers of God proclaiming the message of God. And what they said, if heeded, will result in this kind of a life. You will obey, you will follow, you will love your fellow man. As he said, we didn't read a while ago, but he said in Mark, to love your neighbor with all your heart, with all your soul. This is what the law and the prophets were about. Now, it doesn't say it specifically like that, but when you begin to read like in Jeremiah, the word obey is used more in the book of Jeremiah than any other book, but it's used mostly to show why judgment came on God's people and why there was no escape. As he said in chapter 42, don't go to Egypt, which is a type of the world where Christians usually flee. When spiritual things seem to fall apart, they go to the world. He said, you can't escape. Judgment's coming. That's what he told them. And he said, the reason it is is because you haven't obeyed me. Because remember the song that we sang, the little chorus, Obey My Voice? 
And I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Walk in half of the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. What if he said, walk in all the ways that I have commanded you? Well, we would say, oh, nobody can. Well, then it's not fair for him to require that. Or it's not fair for us to belittle ourselves in his sight and say, well, I can't do what he said. He wouldn't have said for you to do it if you couldn't do it. Walk in all the ways that he's commanded us. And notice the promise that it may be well with you and your children after you. Don't you want that? Isn't that important? And your family after you? That not only have you benefited in your family, your own immediate family, that God has richly blessed you and given you a joyful reason for living. Not some drudgery, oh, I'm going to do that, but a joyful reason for living. And He shall bless you and your children after you. A legacy. I mean, they just say, we'll follow the God of our fathers. And that God took care of them, He'll take care of That's what Jehoshaphat did. The Bible said Jehoshaphat followed the first ways of his father David. He had to be a student to know that. He, I mean, he had to study that to find out that, you know, David was blessed. Everything he did was blessed. And Jehoshaphat said, well, you know, if God would do that for David, why wouldn't he do that for me? So he followed those first ways of his father David that God blessed, and God blessed Jehoshaphat also. Amen. And the same book that says that about them, he says to you, God is no respecter of persons. Amen. You don't have to be a king to be blessed. I don't think Zacchaeus, that little fellow that climbed the tree to see Jesus in Luke 19, I don't think he was a king. He's a rich, he was a rich man. He wanted to know who Jesus was. He climbed up a tree to see him because he was too little to see over the crowd. Jesus approved of him. He said, you know, I'm going home to eat with you today. Well, today he'd have been printed in the paper. He just comes in your house and start eating. Better have groceries. But anyway, let's, let's uh, go on with this because he says, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Now the question, all right, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Now loving myself, I understand to be like I have care for myself. I want to make sure I sleep and make sure my body's clean, that uh, that I don't hurt myself. I don't, I just protect myself as best I can, pay attention to the way I'm going, where I am. And I think in the context of that, it says you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you care about yourself, you care about him. I mean, we are our brothers, um, I've heard that before this year, that God is teaching us very clearly tonight that we are not only our brother's keeper, but we are attached to our brother. Every joint in the body of Christ is where two brothers, two sisters, or brother and sister are joined together. And there's a requirement for them to do something that keeps this thing together. you got to love somebody. Love is a big word, but it's also a, a word we're going to get into right right now. I want you to... Turn to Luke chapter 10, answering the question, who's my neighbor? Well, here's what Jesus said when somebody asked him that. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, well, go to catechism. No. And he said unto him, what is written in the law. Now, wait a minute. Everybody stop. Let me just point something out. You'll like this. This is free. 
Was there salvation possible in the, in the old days, in the first covenant? When he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what? What does the law say? Did he say that? So there is a law. The law could save a man. Then why didn't it? Because man couldn't meet his just demand. Sin. But, I'll, you know, you can do something with that later on. And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, answering him, said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. They all knew that. Those are the first two great commandments. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and what? Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Time out. Wow. It takes a different kind of a man to live like this. God has to do something in your heart. But the point is, do this and, 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 and you'll live. You love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. You do this and you'll live. Well, verse 29, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Jesus answering said unto him, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, which when, when he was at the place, came and looked at him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan of all the people in the world, Samaritans, they call them half-breeds. The people who were left behind in the, when Nebuchadnezzar carried them off to Babylon, they left a few of these people behind that couldn't, they wouldn't be in any trouble for the king. And plus, they sent other people, the Nebuchadnezzar sent other people from other countries to made them come here as prisoners and they all mingled together and they, be, they were part Jew and part something else. And the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with Samaritans. Samaritans had their own place of worship and, and the Jews wouldn't even hardly walk through their towns. But Jesus said, now here came a, a priest. If anybody should have compassion for people, the priest should. And then here came a Levite. One of those whose duty is around the house of God, the temple. That's what his whole tribe is about. The things of God. And both of them looked at him, man half dead, needs help, nobody can help him. If somebody doesn't help him, chances are he will die. It ain't my problem. That attitude's carried over into the year 2012. It ain't my problem. I didn't do it. They ought to make a law about this. And here came a Samaritan. Here came somebody that, I don't know, just... Well, it's what Jesus said, because he knew that they would kind of rear up at, at this about being a Samaritan. And then came a certain Samaritan as he journeyed, came when he uh, came and where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now, was he required to? Was there a law that said he had to? This was voluntary, wasn't it? This had to do with what was in his heart. Not a law, not a decree, not a system, but this is personal. And his personal feelings and emotions were involved. He wasn't, I'm sure the Samaritan wasn't a perfect man. It might not even been a religious man, but he cared for the well-being of this stranger. 
wasn't in his family. He had compassion for him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. I don't know about the wine part. And set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two two pence. That don't sound like much. And gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of him, and whatsoever you spend more, that when I come again I will repay you. Now, Jesus said, Which of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And what would you say? Who was a neighbor? You know, let's say, let's say that everybody here is at least in some form Jewish. And let's say in the, the big Jewish family. Let's say the Samaritan was part Jewish. He had a, you know, halfway. And the full Jewish man came by. No matter what the law said, he ain't going to do it. Another man came by. But here's a man that did it. Here's a man that did it because he wanted the suffering of another to cease. It'd be like God saying to us, if that was you, and people were coming down the road, and you were in a bad way, would you not want somebody to help you? I mean, would you want somebody to, to, to try to fix you up and get you some help? Okay, if you would want somebody to do that to you, then that's what you do to somebody else when you have an opportunity, if, it, if it's up to you to do it. You do unto others, you'd have others do unto you. Loving your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said, is what, this is what you do to a neighbor. It's, just not a, it's not just a verse that you quote. It's something you do. You love your neighbor as yourself. You help him because he needs some help. And he doesn't have any help. Now, in Ephesians 2 and verse, and verse 4, it said, But God, who is rich in his mercy, in his great love wherewith he loved us, When did God love us? Now, Romans, if you've ever learned, I did years ago. Baptist taught me this. You ever learned about the Roman road and and, and preaching salvation to lost people? Romans 3, Romans 6. You go to Romans 8. Thirdly, where it says, And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the reason He died for us is because He loved us, it says. He loved us while we were yet sinners. He's not, you know, it wasn't like any of us deserved love, did we? No man deserved any of the good things that God offered us. They're really offerings. People don't want them, but they're offered. I mean, this is really wonderfully, genuinely generous of God to offer us all the things He has. How about snatching you up out of that miry clay and putting your feet up on a rock? We were perishing. We were worse than a gown on this road to Jericho. We were perishing. We weren't just bleeding and wounded. We were sitting there dying. And, and, and thousands of people who probably could have helped us in some way didn't because it wasn't their problem. But God sent somebody into our lives or sent us somewhere, somewhere in our past, and we heard the truth. We got convicted and got saved. Here we are tonight, not perfect people. I'm not. Maybe you folks are, but I'm still on. You pray for me that I'll make it but to perfection. But even though in an, in an imperfect state, God offers a perfect 
way of life concerning how I can relate to you. I may feel funny about somebody else, but that doesn't mean I have to be ruled by my feelings. I may think unkindly in some ways about what somebody said about me or to me or a neighbor years ago next door hunting on a land next to me, call the owner who had let me hunt on the land and told us total lie. It was a bold-faced lie. And, and, and had the owner then call me up and said, I don't want you on my land anymore. He took the other man's word for it, and I thought, that ain't fair. And I remember thinking, yeah, you'll get yours, old man, the, the, the other guy who told on me. Now, I look back at that now. How many of you know that wasn't the right attitude? But even when you see this guy, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I know him if I did see him, but when you see this guy, you may think about that, on, that instant or that moment, but that doesn't mean that's what you're going to do in how you relate to him. You might say, how you doing? In fact, I did go to his house once, and he wasn't feeling good, and went over and talked to him. So you see, we, we can have funny feelings about people or past events in our lives, but that doesn't mean you have to be ruled by that. You can crucify all of that stuff. And in place of it, set yourself in agreement with God to do what God has said and do to another man what you want another man to do unto you. And, and be fair and be just. And as we've already said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. As far as love, John fifteen twelve said, This is my commandment that you love one, an, one another even as... I have loved you. I don't know how you think about that or how you read that or what goes on in your mind, but a commandment, not a suggestion, but a commandment. He says, you are to love each other how I have loved you. You ever think of how God loved you? It wasn't because you did anything to earn it, did you? You certainly uh, weren't an object of wonderful love. But in my walk through life, God put you in my path. A person I didn't necessarily like. And said, now, as I have loved you, you love this person. How has God loved me? Everybody needs to know this. At least everybody needs to think about it. In what way in my 40 plus years of being a Christian, how has God, in what ways, one, two, three, what ways has God showed His love to me? How has He loved me? He's been long-suffering. He's put up with a whole lot more than I would have put up with. Then we should put up with a whole lot more than somebody deserves. Amen? I mean, you, you keep going with that. You think, I used to read this and I think, I don't, I don't think anybody can love like that. It doesn't mean that you're God, but it means as you have experienced God and He has loved you in the way that you understand, in the dimension that you're able to comprehend all of this, that's the way you should love other people. He forgave you all the sins that you committed against Him because you asked. Then you should likewise forgive others whatever they do against you till seven times seven till seventy times seven. God didn't hold all of your sins against you when He saved you. If He had turned His back on sin, period, nobody would ever be saved. But you being a sinner, and I, He came to us while we were yet sinners, Romans says. 
and spoke gently to us, broke our hearts, gave us godly sorrow, which is a gift, and repentance is a gift. It only comes from God. He caused us to see our sins as He sees our sins. And we saw the criminality of our life and the dirt and the dismal efforts that we, what we call Christianity. And how foolish and hypocritical we are. And he, he showed, uh, did me. Back when I was 28 years old, romping, stomping young. And I saw myself for the first time in my life as I could imagine God seeing me. And I think, why, why would God want anything to do with us? You ever been there? And yet, how many people in our life have come to us and maybe wanted a little help? Or I know some people aggravate you. I think angels unawares could aggravate you too. You didn't know it would just be a test. But how many times in our lives have we treated people less than the way God's treated us? See, love comes from God. The source of true love is God. Everything else comes under the headings of liking and lusting. Eros and phileo, but agapeo is the love that God gives. You love whether they love you back or not. God so loved the world that he gave, not expecting the world to give him anything because he couldn't. But God loved the world while it was lost and in darkness. And he sent his son for those who were lost, that they might be saved. Now, folks... That's divine love. That's why I call this the divine principle of righteousness, Matthew 7, uh, 7, 11. It's because that's the right way. To love somebody is not to view their merits as deserving love or their lifestyle as deserving love. God loved you when you were like that. That doesn't mean you give them everything they want. I mean, you have to use wisdom in all of this, but... Love is that wonderful thing that God gives that changes lives, turns everything around, and makes, makes it the way it's supposed to be. Turn to Romans 13. Romans 13 and verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love him. you all agree with that? Sort of. Kind of. A little bit. Teeny weeny bit. Acknowledge it's in the Bible, but maybe you're not sure about it. Surely you've all found it by now. Owe no man anything but to love one another. Do I owe that to you? Do you deserve it? Say no. So love is not something that is a reciprocal thing. You love because it's the nature of God in you to love. Verse 9, for this, quoting a verse now, Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not cover, covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now in verse 9, he quotes the last six from Ten Commandments, number 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, how we relate to each other. He said, now this is what the law says. This is what the law has said. And, and this is what that message is in the Ten Commandments. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
You love him. You don't lie to him. You don't steal from him. You don't covet his, his wife or his animals or his possessions. You don't swear falsely against him. You wouldn't, you wouldn't kill him or hurt him. You wouldn't want anybody to do that to you. You don't deceive him because you wouldn't want anybody to deceive you. This is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. To do unto your neighbor as you want your neighbor to do unto you, whether he does or not. This is what he said. Verse 10, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, what does your Bible say? Love is what? Love is the fulfilling of the law. So, does this tell us then that that the law, all that was over our head, you know, the law that slew us, Romans speaks of, the law that was holy and intended to exalt and magnify God, and when lived according to it, magnifies God and His people, we all fell short. We all came short. Because, as it says, if you break one law... There's no provision in the law to remove your sin. Once you've sinned, it is, it is there. You can't get rid of it. The blood of a bull or a goat can't remove your sins. They were reminded every year, the Hebrews says, they had to bring their offerings, I mean, year after year. Every day, every time, every year, there was a day of atonement. They were reminded again, you're sinful people. You're sinful people. God is only dealing with you because you're obeying His law about the sacrifices. You're showing that you're willing to do that and that there's a message there. But at no time could the blood of bulls and goats cleanse your sins. I mean, all we like sheep, he said in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. There isn't anybody righteous because nobody is doing everything the right way that God wants them to. Nobody. There's not a righteous one amongst us, he said. Not one. All our righteousness, like the Pharisees considered themselves to be higher than others and right, they had their own system. But all our righteousness is to God like filthy rags. So that's not much of a compliment. But he said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So then, all that the law says, all that it demands from us was simply this, to love God with all your, with all your being, and likewise to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the law is about. On this hangs all the law and the prophets. This is the law and the prophets. All you read about, all those great lengthy verses and long passages and the message of the Old Testament, Jesus said, is this. Love God. Devotion. Submission. Allegiance to God more than your own life. And... That's not all. You can't run out here in a cave and just say, I love God and stay away from people because the second commandment says, you love your neighbor as yourself, therefore you're going to be around your neighbor. So it's got to be both. And you have to examine yourselves sometimes. Surely we all do. Do I really love 
all my brothers and sisters the way I love myself? Do I care about the needs of other people as I care about my own needs? Not that you can meet all these needs. Do you care? Are you concerned like the Samaritan was? Are you willing to do something if given the chance? There's something really divine and really holy in a Christian's life when that when released, when it comes forth, it will change all of your outlook in life, take away all your fears, all your dreads. It's not fear of disease and sickness and hearts and livers and lungs. It's not diseases and flus and stuff. You lose your dread of everything because something in life is bigger than that. God loves me. Now, we know that. But what I want, I want to experience the very fullness of that. I don't want that to be just a verse of Scripture hanging on my wall or a bumper sticker or some wonderful painting that has that on it. I want to experience it. To know that when you get up and walk out of your house in the morning... That God's love is with you. It's going nowhere. It's following you all the day long because God is with you. No evil shall befall you. No plague come nigh your dwelling. And concerning you, he will give charge to his angels to keep you in all of your ways. And he said at the end of the 91st Psalm, it begins with, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I. You know what the last thing he said was? With long life, I'll satisfy him. Well, if he's going to do that, if God is going to in, give me long life, well, why do I need any kind of insurance in case it ain't long? Well, what about your poor family? They're not poor. That's a colloquial. Forget it. That's just a saying. Family isn't poor. He started taking care of us when we were. He's never. We never lacked. Of whom should I fear? Of what should I be afraid? If God be for me, Romans 8, remember he says, if God be for me, who can be against me? Something is happening in your mind and in your heart. You're experiencing a new view of what this life down here on this earth is all about. Death loses its grip. Remember Paul said, oh, Death, where is thy victory? Grave, where's your sting? I'm not scared of you. You don't control me anymore. I don't go into a floozy because of, oh no. Not at all. Not at all. Because something is happening. You made a decision to do things God's way. And in the process, you started finding yourself loving His people. You can't change their life. That's God's business. But you were there concerned about it. You care. You contribute. Somebody's going to the foreign field. Well, I'm not planning on going, but I can, I can send my money down there to go for me. Couldn't you? Of course we could. Why would you want to spend money on somebody you're never going to see? Because they have souls. They have souls. Do Orientals have souls? How about Africans? Do they have souls? Black people have souls? How about white people? We have souls? I don't know what other colors we can go by. 
There's only four classes of man in the world. One of them is Aboriginal, one of them is Mongolian, one of them is Negro, and one of them is Caucasian. Those are the four. I learned that in anthropology class from Dr. Axelbert. I'm here wherever I am, wherever I'm sent to love people. In fact, the only, the only way you'll find as you keep going, the only way that, that God will honor your faith and, and make something that honors God when you use it. The only way it really works right is when it works by love, as Galatians says. Nothing matters more than faith that worketh by love. You exercise faith because those promises that God gave, He's magnified in the performance of that word. Amen? Why would He do that? Because you ask. Because you changed your life. You read the Bible. You got convicted, so you turned yourself around. You gave up your old habits, rebuked those old ways, and God's changing your life. That's why there's more peace in your life than there's ever been, if there is. That's why there's something there that, well, this divine nature that Second Peter 1 talks about, the divine nature inside of you is something we can partake of. And it's, it's there because God loved us enough to give us that. Now, if he's that concerned about me, then God helped me to have some kind of concern as he directs it towards other people. Turn to, turn to the book of James. Let's, let's look at the royal law. The royal law. What is that? Well, you've read it many times in your life. James chapter 2 and verse 8. If you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. Even the Bible calls that Leviticus 19 verse. Remember we started with that? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's laced throughout the Bible. It's a point is made of, thou shalt love thy neighbor of thyself. Everywhere it's used, it's, a point is made. It, it has a message. And, and, and the message is to us. We're the ones that have neighbors. We're the ones that the Bible says we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Look at verse 9. But if you have respect to persons, what do you say? If you have respect to persons, you commit sin. Uh-oh. If you have respect to persons, you commit sins. Does that mean we're supposed to be fair in our judgments and not make a difference between the rich and the poor? Go to the first verse. Look at verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, faith here having to do with your Christian life, your Christian way, the way that God's given you to live. Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay, ooh, the gay clothing, and say, un, ooh, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand over there, or sit back here in the back. Verse 4, are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? In other words, you're not fair in your evaluation here. This is not just. Hearken, my brethren, 
Hath not God chosen the poor in this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats and half the time won't pay the, for the work you've done? I'm sorry, I put that in. Oh, didn't. That didn't belong in there. Verse 7. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you're called? But if you fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. Does that mean that I'm supposed to be right and fair with everybody? I don't care if you're a hero, you're really somebody of renown or a well-to-do, self-made somebody with a lot of money or whatever. We're not to go, oh boy, you come, you know, you... God is not a respecter of persons, therefore, we should not be respecters of persons. We should not try to make a rich man feel like he is saved because he's here. We had a fellow in Charlestown when I grew up. His name was Deb. His first name was Deb. In all my years growing up, this man was a, a schemer, and a, I mean, he was, everybody knew that, you know, he was crooked as a, as we saw, as we say, a snake, crooked as a snake. Well, somebody, it was reported, led him to the Lord one night on one of our visitations night. We had a visitation night on Thursday nights. We'd go out and knock on doors in the community. And somebody knocked on Deb's door one night, cautiously, at his nice big home, and uh, led him to the Lord. And I, I'm thinking, there's no way. Now, here's a man that came to church, a brand new baby. He didn't know if Matthew was in the Bible or he didn't know anything. And right away, they made him a trustee, and they put him in this committee. And, made, and, and this man never did pan out. He stayed in a religious mode all the time he stayed in the church. But I remember once or twice I heard him say something out in the parking lot. You know, he'd be out there smoking a cigarette, and, and a bad word would come out. And I think, whatever you were supposed to have gotten, you didn't get it. Now, you, how many of you know I should have said that? And the reason, see, I would have said that to somebody that was different. Now, here's Deb, you know, he's supposed to be, a, you know, you knew his life. And of all people that should have been talked to, he should have been told, you shouldn't talk like that. Keith would have told him that. That you shouldn't talk like that. That's not the way we ought to talk. That should have been said to him, but nobody said it because, probably because of who he was. That was not fair. To him, by us. We let him get by with that. One night, somebody came into prayer meeting, and I, it was a sad night. We were praying, and they had caught him up in the uh, graveyard with the secretary of the church uh, talking. Somebody had snuck up on him and all of that and came back to church. I caught him there up there, and I figured there was something going on. One of our policemen in the church. And it was, uh, I mean, it was sad, but it just shows that being our brother's keeper, one of the things that, that we, we do is that if, if, if I love you, right, then I don't stand by and turn my head when you sin. Nor you me. I don't mean we have to be little legalists with a little notepad around and our little cell phones ready when we make some, you know, advertise this. It just means that God would, would God deal with you about your sins? 
so would, so should we then with each other. Galatians 5. Go back two or three books. Four to Galatians. Or six to Galatians 5. Verse 14. Verse 13. For brethren, we have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does that mean if, if, if I go to the right to First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, First Timothy 1 and verse 5, where it says, Now the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart, out of a good conscience, and a faith in unfeigned. Does that mean then that love is a big deal? Love in the sense of relationships. I don't mean you cater to somebody's weaknesses or somebody's flaws, but loving people the way you said, you love your neighbor as yourself. How many times is that used? That's one of the most oft used verses in the New Testament, quoted verses. Loving your neighbor as yourself. And as, as I said, it has a message everywhere it is used. Our text, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, uh, demands justice from us. To be fair and upright in all of our dealings with other people. If we see a poor man do something wrong, he's wrong. If we see a rich man do something wrong, he's wrong. If a deacon is seen doing something wrong or an elder or something, I mean, nobody's wrong is okay. And we must be fair and just in all of our dealings and all of our relationship with other people. But think of this. If we are, if we do unto others as we would have others do unto this, nobody gets lied to. Nobody gets cheated. Nobody gets defrauded. I'm not going to sell you something, try to get your money, and hope you can use what I sold you. Because if I wouldn't want you to do that to me, I wouldn't do that to you. Nobody takes advantage of anybody else. Nobody abuses anybody else. Nobody treats anybody else wrong. No one is harmed. We don't mislead people. We're Christians. We do unto other people the way we are to other people, the way we want other people to be to us. Now, that, does that mean then that if well, there's, there's evil in the world, that evil should not be judged? That's why God has put into place governments and systems of government. Romans 13, obey them that have, you know, those in authority, for they bear not the sword in vain. That's why we have governments. Not everybody in the world will believe this. Not everybody in the world wants to walk like this. Not everybody wants it to be like this. We have to have laws to govern people, but a law was not made for us. If you turn back to 1 Timothy, if you've gone anywhere else, 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 9 and 10. What an amazing statement. Knowing this, that the law is not made for what kind of man? Are you all there? 1 Timothy 1, nine. For a righteous man. What's a righteous man? Well, I've been talking about it. The law was not made for those who are right with God. A righteous man not only is right, but maintains his right. But the law was made for lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane and murderers of fathers, mothers, 
for manslayers, whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. That's who the law is for. The law should bring conviction. And if it doesn't bring conviction and a man chooses to turn away from God to do things his own way, God has a system of judgment, and his judgment is always fair. No sinner has ever been unfairly judged. Never. In fact, if you look in, if you don't mind, go back, go, go to the book of Zechariah, the next to the last book in the Old Testament, chapter 7. Zechariah 7, and we'll start coming to a close. Zechariah 7, and verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. But... What happens? And this happens historically. It's happened forever. But what? But they refused to hearken. Why do you suppose they did? Because probably our feelings when offended are greater than our obedience to God. We want to get even. We want things fair. We have a passion about, about defending ourselves and getting even. And I'll tell you one thing. I mean, that's lodged in us from childhood. It's the way of the world. And God comes along and says, that's not right. You let your heavenly Father take care of you, protect you, and, and avenge you. And you're not supposed to treat the widows and the fatherless. You're not supposed to take advantage of people and, and sell stuff to people that's not right and tell people you'll do something and then not do it and, and slander and backbite. You, you wouldn't want anybody to do that to you. Don't do that to other people. But it says, they've been saying this for years and years and years, but they refuse to hearken pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by His Spirit, by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. And it came to pass that as He cried and they would not hear, so they cried, and I will not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. You do unto others as you'd have others to do unto you. I think we tell God sometimes how we want him to deal with us. Remember the prophets that met the king? Asa was met by a prophet. Jehoshaphat was met by a prophet. One, one came to Hezekiah. Prophets came and said, the Lord is with you as long as you're with him. Is that fair? And if you turn away from God, he'll turn away from you. Now, I think that I think God we're under a better system today by grace. But it's fair. He said, you live by this royal law. And you'll have God on your side. God will avenge you, protect you, keep you, supply your needs, bless you when you go out, bless you when you come in. Everything you put your hand to will prosper. He said he would. But if you turn away your ears from that... And you shrug your shoulders away from that and you don't want to do that. Maybe you're too young or something. Then that's what's happening. What's going to happen is that's what's going to happen. 
Let me give you four quick points to close. Just four quick statements. One, we should not treat man the way man treats us. If we did that, then we respond to evil. That our actions are determined by evil deeds. It's not to be like that. We do not let that happen. Remember Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44 we read earlier in the Sermon on the Mount when it said that uh, love your enemies, bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. In verse 45. So we do not as Christians... We do not treat men the way men treat us. Secondly, we should not treat men the way they think they should be treated. Again, there are those who feel superior, feel more advanced, more important, and they expect the better treatment, the better deals. They expect recognition and benefits and bonuses and, and all the special things that get. And yet, what does God say? God is not a respecter of persons. So, a lot of men who are accomplished or well-known expect you to make a difference with them. You are to, oh boy, honor them with all you got. But I don't think we should treat men as men want to be treated. Now, thirdly, Thirdly, another statement is that we should not treat men the way, the way we think they should be treated. That is, we should not treat men the way we think they should be treated. We should not treat men the way we think they should be treated. Otherwise, we would condemn or justify men on the basis of our feelings about situations. If, you know, with, without knowing both sides of the story, we often make a judgment call. We read an article in the paper, and then right away we're condemning somebody. You read in the paper what they did or what they said? Well, I'll tell you what they are. How do you know it's even true? That's not, a, that's not just judgment. I would say most of what you read in the paper is shadowy, half-truth, more or less non-truth. Unless it's a local paper like in our town where it would be hard to do that without being dealt with. Let me ask you young folks something. Teenagers, do parents have feelings? Do they? Do parents have responsibilities? Are they held accountable for their children? What would happen if a Christian young person before they reacted to a rule, a law, or a statement, what if they put themselves in the parent's place first and looked at themselves as they know how they are? Now, let me ask all of you all this, all, especially you that are under 20. Do you trust yourself? If you were your mom or dad, would you trust you? Now, I don't know what you all did the last week. You probably, I'm not talking, I'm preaching to the choir, I imagine, but... A lot of people in a lot of places, you know, on Saturday night, they want to get out and go and do. And the, all their designs are not good. So a mom or dad says, I don't want you doing this or, or, or that. And you get this attitude. You treat me like a child. Probably. 
If you were your parent, would you let you go to the places you're fixing to go to? In my lifetime, I've asked a number of young folks at various times, would you trust you if you were your parent? Most of them said, no. Which means then that why then are you making such a big fuss over your mother or your father's rules? I mean, why would that be such a big... You're doing unto your parents the way you want your parents to do unto you, aren't you? Would you want your parents to deceive you? Then don't deceive them. Would you want your parents to treat you fairly? Treat them fairly. One of the great verses of all time, one of the greatest verses in the Bible is Matthew seven eleven: Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if you would stop and ask yourself in one of your next adventures, is this right? Is what I'm about to do right? Is somebody going to get hurt if I do this? Could I really offend somebody by doing what I want to do? Driving this way? We've had reports about some of you driving a little bit ignorant. Ignorant, excuse me. Ignorant is Kentucky. Ignorant is more, right? But there's no call for that. That's not necessary. Would you want somebody to do that to you? We've had people scratch off out of here and throw rocks against a painted wall and got chips all over the wall. What if we all went to your house with a bucket full of rocks and laid them out there in front of the house and just let them run against the wall of your house? Would you like that? Why, no. Well, then why would you do it? Well, see, start asking yourself the 10,000 questions you're going to deal with this, this, this week. Do unto others as others would want to do unto you. Would you want somebody to do this to you? Well, then don't do it to them. Would you want somebody to say that about you? Don't say that about them. Would you want somebody to repeat a story they heard about you? Then don't repeat a story you heard about them. Don't do that. Because fourthly, we should treat others the way we want to be treated. We should treat others the way we want to be treated. How about you husbands and wives as I close? If you husbands could put yourselves in your wife's seat, boy, this is tough on me. If a man could put himself in his wife's shoes and look at you, knowing how you are and what's on, how bad attitude you got, would you keep acting that way? No. Then why act that way in the first place? Your husband, whom you yakking about here, you got that ratchet jaw about him. You ever put yourself in his shoes? You ever imagine what he's going through and all the responsibilities he has and all of that and how hard it is and he comes in and then you act like he's a stranger or he's what if you what if you had to do what he did? How would you want him to respond to you? How would you want to respond to you? How many of you know this isn't hard to do? Just put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want people to love you, love them. You want people to walk up and smack you in the mouth? They'll smack them in the mouth by all means. You know better than that, don't you? There's just things that God says don't do that. Now, let me tell you something. Hold on next week because next week's a difficult passage of Scripture. Matthew 7, 12, and 13. Internet, straight gate, narrow, few. That's tough. I, don't, I haven't met a handful of people in my life that love to hear that. Not even a handful, but I know it's in there. Right now, I want to get this thing pet, and we'll go home. Treat other people 
the way you want other people to treat you. In traffic, I'm listening. And there's been times I have, instead of making a quick turn, I drove on down another half a mile to turn around and come back because I wouldn't want that guy to slam on his brakes because I waited too long. And instead of making him upset, I just kept on going. And, you know, I'm not a hero, but I was considering the fact that he might not like that. He might be, you know, he might lose his mind over this. So it's going down. I'll take the heat and come back and get there myself. I made it. Amen. Close your Bible. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, consider, Lord, that we are your people and that we often struggle with things that we should not struggle with. And we often give in when we should not. Help us, O Lord, in these days on this earth, in our fleshly bodies, temptations all around us, our minds barraged with weakness, ineptness. God, help us to know that your kingdom looms before us as a very real possibility. It can be sought. It can be obtained. We can enjoy its benefits. And help us, O oh God, to hear with hearing ears and put to practice that we would do unto others as we would have others to do unto us and to love our neighbors as ourselves. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.